0: Last chapter, Cry of the Hunters. So remember, in the last previous chapter, uh, we lost our logic in Piggy. We've lost our symbol of society in the conch. And now Jack and his tribe have physically assaulted Ralph. Ralph lay in a covert, wondering about his wounds. The bruised flesh was inches in diameter over his right ribs, with a swollen and bloody scar where the spear had hit him. His hair was full of dirt and tapped like the tendrils of a creeper. All over, he was scratched and bruised from his flight through the forest. By the time his breathing was normal again, he had worked out that bathing these injuries would have to wait. How could you listen for naked feet if you were splashing in water? How could you be safe by the little stream or on the open beach? Ralph listened. He was not really far from the castle rock, and during the first panic, he had thought he heard sounds of pursuit. But the hunters only sneaked into the fringes of the greenery, retrieving spears, perhaps, and then had rushed back to the sunny rock as if terrified of the darkness under the leaves. He even glimpsed one of them, striped brown, black, and red, and it judged that it was Bill. But really, thought Ralph, this was not Bill. This was a savage whose image refused to blend with that ancient picture of a boy in shorts and shirt. The afternoon died away. The circular spots of sunlight moved steadily over green fronds and brown fiber, but no sound came from behind the rock. At last, Ralph wormed out of the ferns and sneaked forward to the edge of that impenetrable thicket that fronted the neck of land. He peered with elaborate caution between branches at the edge and could see Robert sitting on guard at the top of the cliff. He held a spear with his left hand and was tossing up a pebble and catching it again with the right. Behind him, a column of smoke rose thickly, so that Ralph's nostrils flared and his mouth dribbled. He wiped his nose and mouth with the back of his hand and, for the first time since the morning, felt hungry. The tribe must be sitting around the gutted pig, watching the fat ooze and burn among the ashes. They would be intent. Another figure, an unrecognizable one, appeared by Robert and gave him something, then turned and went back behind the rock. Robert laid a spear on the rock beside him and began to gnaw between his raised hands. So the feast was beginning, and the watchman had been given his portion. Ralph saw that for the first time t- for the time being he was safe. He limped away through the fruit trees, drawn by the thought of the poor food, yet bitter when he remembered the feast. Feast today, and then tomorrow? Whew. Idiots. He argued unconvincingly. they would let him alone. Perhaps maybe make an outlaw of him. But then the, unfatal, the fatal run reasoning knowledge came to him again. The breaking of the conch and the deaths of Piggy and Simon lay over the island like a vapor. These painted savages would go further and further. Then there was that indefinable connection between himself and Jack, who therefore would never let him alone. Never. He paused, sunflecked, holding up a bow, prepared to duck under it. The spasms of terror set him shaking and cried aloud, No, they're not as bad as that. It was an accident. He ducked under the bow, ran clumsily, then stopped and listened. He came to the smashed acres of fruit and ate greedily. He saw two little ones and, not having any idea of his own appearance, wondered why they screamed and ran. When he had eaten, he went toward the beach. The sunlight was slanting down into the palms by the wrecked shelter. There was a platform in the pool. The best thing to do was to ignore this leaden feeling about the heart and rely on their common sense, their daylight sanity. Now, keep in mind, by the way, if he's going to rely on their common sense, their logic, well, what did you just do to your logic? in the previous chapter now the tribe had eaten the thing to do was to try again and anyway you couldn't stay here all night in an empty shelter by the deserted platform his flesh crept and he shivered in the evening sun no fire no smoke no rescue he turned and limped away through the forest toward jack's end of the island the slanting sticks of sunlight were lost among the branches at length he came to a clearing in the forest where rock prevented vegetation from growing now it was a pool of shadows, and Ralph nearly flung himself behind a tree when he saw something standing in the center. But then he saw the white face was bone, and that the pig's skull grinned at him from the top of the stick. He walked slowly into the middle of the clearing and looked steadily at the skull that gleamed as white as ever the conch had done, and seemed to jeer at him cynically. An inquisitive ant was busy in one of the eye sockets, but otherwise the thing was lifeless. Or was it? Little prickles of sensation ran up and down his back. He stood, the skull about on a level with his face, and held up his hair with two hands. The teeth grinned. The empty sockets seemed to hold his gaze masterfully and without effort. What was it? The skull regarded Ralph like one who knows all the answers and won't tell. Sick fear and rage swept him. Fiercely, he hit out at the filthy thing in front of him that bobbed like a toy and came back. Still grinning into his face, that he lashed and cried out in loathing. Then he was licking his bruised knuckles and looking at the bare stick, while the skull lay in two pieces, its grin now six feet across. He wrenched the quivering stick from the crack and held it as a spear between him and the white pieces. Then he backed away, keeping his face to the skull that lay grinning at the sky. So you want to pause for a moment because you want to look at what he's interacted with here. So this is the pig's head on the stick, right? This is the Lord of the Flies. So Ralph is interacting with the lord of the flies if you notice now it's just a skull so what does that tell you has happened to it what have the flies done to that skull again if we go back to what it is if the skull is all of the evil that the boys are drawn to and the boys are the flies what have the boys now done with all of that metaphorical evil the skull is completely bare and those flies have eaten at it you know consider where all of that would have ended up they've now ingested it all. He looks at it too and he, he's immediately thrown off by this, right? So, what's his first response? This is our civilized or our symbol of civilized society. He immediately hits at it, right? Gets him to hit at it, do something savage, except that when he does that, it just bounces back. He hits it again, it falls down. The skull lay in two pieces. It's grin now six feet across. So, in fact, what does it seem like that thing is actually doing to him? When the green glow had gone from the horizon, and night was fully accomplished, Ralph came again to the thicket in front of the castle rock. Peeping through, he could see the height was still occupied, and whoever it was up there had a spear at the ready. He knelt among the shadows and felt his isolation bitterly. They were savages, it was true, but they were human, and the ambushing fears of the deep night were coming on. Ralph moaned faintly. Tired though he was, he could not relax and fall into a well of sleep for fear of the tribe. Might it not be possible to walk boldly into the fort say, I got packs, laugh lightly, and sleep among the others? Pretend they were still boys? schoolboys who had said, Sir, yes, sir, and mourned caps? Daylight might have answered yes, but darkness and the horrors of death said no. Lying there in the darkness, he knew he was an outcast. Because I had some sense. He rubbed his cheek along his forearm, smelling the acrid scent of salt and sweat and the staleness of dirt. Over the left, the waves of ocean were breathing, sucking down, then boiling back over the rock. There were sounds coming from behind the castle rock. Listening carefully, detaching his mind from the swing of the sea, Ralph could make out a familiar rhythm. Kill the beast! Cut his throat! Spill his blood! The tribe was dancing. Somewhere on the other side of this rocky wall, there'd be a dark circle, a glowing fire, and meat. They'd be savoring food in the comfort of safety. A noise nearer at hand made him quiver savages were clambering up the castle rock, right up to the top, and he could hear voices. He sneaked forward a few yards and saw the shape at the top of the rock change and enlarge. There were only two boys on the island who moved or talked like that. Ralph put his head down on his forearms and accepted this new fact like a wound. Sam and Eric were part of the tribe now. They were guarding the castle rock against him. There was no chance of rescuing them and building up an outlaw tribe on the other end of the island. Sam and Eric were savages like the rest. Piggy was dead, and the conch smashed a powder. At length, the guard climbed down. The two that remained seemed nothing more than a dark extension of the rock. A star appeared behind them and was momentarily eclipsed by some movement. Ralph edged forward, feeling his way over the uneven surface as though he were blind. There were miles of vague water at his right, and the restless ocean lay under his left hand, as awful as the shaft of a pit. Every minute, the water breathed around the death rock, "'and flowered into a field of whiteness. "'Ralph crawled until he found the ledge of the entry in his grasp. "'The lookouts were immediately above him, "'and he could see the end of a spear projecting over the rock. "'He called very gently. "'Sam and Eric!' "'There was no reply. "'To carry, he must speak louder, "'and this would rouse those striped and inimical creatures "'from their feasting by the fire. "'He set his teeth and started to climb, "'finding the holds by touch.' The stick that had supported a skull hampered him, but he would not be parted from his only weapon. He was nearly level with the twins before he spoke again. Sam and Eric! He heard a cry and a flurry from the rock. The twins had grabbed each other and were gibbering. It's me, Ralph! Terrified that they would run and give the alarm, he hauled himself up until his head and shoulders stuck over the top. Far below his armpit, he saw the luminous flowering round the rock. It's only me, Ralph! At length, they bent forward and peered into his face. We thought it was. We didn't know what it was. We thought. Memory of their new and shameful loyalty came to them. Eric was silent, but Sam tried to do his duty. You gotta go, Ralph. You go away now. He wagged his spear in a saved fierceness. You shove off, see? Eric nodded agreement and jabbed his spear in the air. Ralph leaned on his arms and did not go. I came to see you two. His voice was thick. His throat was hurting him now, though. It had received no wound. I came to see you two. Words could not express the dull pain of these things. He fell silent, while the vivid stars were spilt and danced always. Sam shifted uneasily. Honest, Ralph, you'd better go. Ralph looked up again. You two aren't painted. How can you? If it were light if it were light, shame would burn them at admitting these things, but the night was dark. Eric took up, and the twins started their antiphonal speech. You gotta go, go, because it's not safe. They made us. They hurt us. Who, Jack? Oh no. They bent to him and lowered their voices. Push off, Ralph. It's a tribe. They made us. We couldn't help it. And Ralph spoke again. His voice was low and seemed breathless. What have I done? I liked him. And I, I wanted us to be rescued. Again, the stars spilled about the sky. Eric shook his head earnestly. Listen, Ralph. Never mind what's sense. That's gone. Never mind about the chief. You got to go for your own good. The chief and Roger. Yes, Roger. They hate you, Ralph. They're going to do you. They're going to hunt you tomorrow. "'But why?' "'I don't know.' "'And Ralph, Jack, the chief, says it'll be dangerous, "'and we gotta be careful and throw our spears like at a pig. "'We gotta spread out in a line across the island. "'We're going forward from this end until we find you. "'We gotta give signals like this.' "'Eric raised his head and achieved a faint ululation. "'By beating on his open mouth. "'Then he glanced behind him nervously. "'Like that. Only louder, of course. "'I've done nothing,' whispered Ralph urgently. "'I only wanted to keep up a fire.' paused for a moment, thinking miserably of the morrow. A matter of overwhelming importance occurred to him. What are you? He could not bring himself to be specific at first, but then fear and loneliness goaded him. When they find me, what are they going to do? The twins were silent. Beneath him the death rock flowered again. What are they? Oh God, I'm hungry. The towering rock seemed to sway under him. Well, what? The twins answered his question indirectly. You got to go now, Ralph. For your own good. Keep away. As far as you can. Won't you come with me? Three of us. We'd stand a chance. After a moment's silence, Sam spoke in a strangled voice. You don't know Roger. He's a terror. And the chief, they're both terrors. Only Roger. Both boys froze. Someone was climbing toward them from the tribe. He's coming to see if we're keeping watch. Quick, Ralph. As he prepared to let himself down the cliff, Ralph snatched the last possible advantage to be wrung out of this meeting. I'll lie up close in that thicket down there, he whispered, so keep him away from it. He'll never think to look so close. The footsteps were still some distance away. Sam, I'm going to be all right, aren't I? The twins were silent again. Here, said Sam suddenly, take this. Ralph felt a chunk of meat pushed against him and grabbed it. But what are you going to do when you catch me? Silence above. He sounded silly to himself. He lowered himself down the rock. What are you going to do? From the top of the towering rock came the incomprehensible reply Roger sharpened a stick at both ends. Roger sharpened a stick at both ends. Ralph tried to attach a meaning to this, but could not. He used all the bad words he could think of in a fit of terror, a fit of temper that passed into yawning. How long could you go without sleep? He yearned for a bed and sheets, but the only whiteness here was the slow spilt milk. Luminous round the rock forty feet below, where Piggy had fallen, Piggy was everywhere. Was on this neck. Was become terrible in darkness and death. If Piggy were to come back now out of the water with his empty head, Ralph whimpered and yawned like a little one. The stick in his hand became a crutch on which he reeled. So, you get to pause for a moment because we've got an idea of what they are planning to do to Ralph, right? So, what are they planning to do to them? What are all the boys going to take part in? And then he says, well, "Wait, what are you guys going to do when you catch me?" Roger sharpened a stick at both ends. Okay, it doesn't make any sense to Ralph. It should to the reader. When was the last time that we saw a stick sharpened at both ends? In fact, the stick in Ralph's hands is a stick sharpened at both ends. Consider what was on that stick, which tells you what are they going to be doing to Ralph. <laughs> then he tensed again. There were voices raised on the top of the castle rock. Sam and Eric were arguing with someone but the ferns and the grass were near. That was a place to be in, hidden and next to the thicket that would serve for tomorrow's hideout. Here, and his hands touched grass, was a place to be in for the night, not far from the tribe, so that if the horrors of the supernatural emerged, one could at least mix with humans for the time being. Even if it meant, what did it mean, a stick sharpened at both ends? What was there in that? They had thrown spears and missed, all but one. Perhaps they'd miss next time, too, He squatted down on the tall grass, remembered the meat that Sam had given him, and began to tear at it ravenously. While he was eating, he heard fresh noises, cries of pain from Sam and Eric, cries of panic, angry voices. What did it mean? Someone besides himself was in trouble, for at least one of the twins was catching it. Then the voices passed away down the rock, and he ceased to think of them. He felt with his hands and found cool, delicate fronds backed against the thicket. Here, then, was the knight's lair. At first light, he would creep into the thicket, squeeze between the twisted stems, and sconce himself so deep that only a crawler like himself could come through, and that crawler would be jabbed. There he would sit, and the search would pass him by, and the cordon waver on, along the island, and he would be free. He pulled himself between the ferns tunneling in. He laid the stick beside him, and huddled himself down in the blackness. One must remember to wake at first light, in order to diddle the savages and he did not know how quickly sleep came and hurled him down a dark interior slope. He was awake before his eyes were open, listening to a noise that was near. He opened an eye, found the mold an inch or so away from his face, and his fingers gripped into it, light filtering between the fronds of fern. He had just time to realize that the age-long nightmares of falling and death were past, that the morning was come, when he heard the sound again. It was an ululation over by the seashore, and now the next savage answered, and the next the cry swept by him across an edge of the island from sea to the lagoon, like the cry of a flying bird. He took no time to consider, but grabbed his sharp stick and wriggled back among the ferns. Within seconds, he was worming his way into the thicket, but not before he had glimpsed the legs of a savage coming toward him. The ferns were thumped and beaten, and he heard legs moving in the long grass. The savage, whoever he was, ululated twice, and the cry was repeated in both directions, and died away. Ralph crouched still, tangled in the ferns, and for a time, he heard nothing. At last, he examined the thicket itself. Certainly, no one could attack him here, and moreover, he had a stroke of luck. The great rock that had killed Piggy had bound the thicket and bounced there, right in the center, making a smash face a few feet next extent each way. When Ralph wriggled into this, he felt secure and clever. He sat down carefully among the smashed stems and waited for the hunt to pass. Looking up between the leaves, he caught a glimpse of something red. That must be the top of Castle Rock, distant and unmenacing. He composed himself triumphantly to hear the sounds of the hunt dying away. Yet no one made a sound, and as the minutes passed and the green shade his feeling of triumph faded. At last he heard a voice, Jack's voice, but hushed. Are you certain? The savage addressed said nothing. Perhaps he made a gesture. Roger spoke. You're fooling us. Immediately after this, there came a gasp and a squeal of pain. Ralph crouched instinctively. One of the twins was there outside the thicket with Jack and Roger. You're sure he meant in there? The twin moaned faintly and then squealed again. He meant he'd hide in there. Yes, yes, oh! Silver laughter scattered among the trees. So, they knew. Ralph picked up a stick and prepared for battle. But what could they do? It would take him a week to break a path to thicket, and anyone who wormed his way in would be helpless. He felt the point of his spear with his thumb and grinned without amusement. Whoever tried that would be stuck, squealing like a pig. They were going away back to the tower rock. He could hear feet moving, and then someone sniggered. There came again that high, bird-like cry that swept along the line. So some were still watching for him. But some, there was a long, breathless silence. Ralph found that he had bark in his mouth from the gnawed spear. He stood and peered upwards to the castle rock. As he did so, he heard Jack's voice from the top. Heave! 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 The red rock that he could see at the top of the cliff vanished like a curtain. He could see figures in blue sky. A moment later, the earth jolted. There was a rushing sound in the air, and the top of the thicket was cuffed as with a gigantic hand. The rock bounded on, thumping and smashing toward the beach. There the shower of broken twigs and leaves fell on him. Beyond the thicket, the tribe was cheering. Silence again. Ralph put his fingers in his mouth and bit them. There was only one other rock up there that might conceivably move, but that was half as big as a cottage, big as a car, a tank. He visualized its probable progress with agonizing clearness. That one would start slowly, drop from ledge to ledge, trundle across the neck like an outsized steamroller. Heave, heave, heave. heave. Ralph put down a spear, then picked it up again. He pushed his hair back irritably took two hasty steps across the little space, and then came back. He stood looking at the broken ends of branches, still silence. He caught sight of the rise and fall of his diaphragm, and was surprised to see how quickly he was breathing. Just left of center, his heartbeats were visible. He put the spear down again. Heave! 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 A shrill, prolonged cheer. Something boomed on the, up on the red rock. Then the earth jumped and began to shake steadily, while the no, noise as steadily increased. Ralph was shot into the air, thrown down, dashed against branches. At his right hand, and only a few feet away, the whole thicket bent, and the roots screamed as they came out of the earth together. He saw something red that turned over slowly as a mill wheel. Then the red thing was passed, and the elephantine progress diminished toward the sea. Ralph knelt on the plowed up soil and waited for the earth to come back. Presently, the white broken stumps, the split sticks, and the tangle of the thicket refocused. There was a kind of heavy feeling in his body where he had watched his own pulse. Silence again, yet not entirely so. They were whispering out there, and suddenly the branches were shaken furiously at two places on his right. The pointed end of a stick appeared. In panic, Ralph thrust his own stick through the crack and struck with all his might. Ah! His spear twisted a little in his hands, and then he withdrew it again. Oof! Someone was moaning outside, and a babble of voices rose. A fierce argument was going on, and the wounded savage kept groaning. Then, when there was silence, a single voice spoke, and Ralph decided it was not Jack's. See, I told you, he's dangerous. The wounded savage moaned again. What else? What next? Ralph fastened his hands around the chewed spear and his hair fell. Someone was muttering, only a few yards away toward the castle rock. He heard a savage say, no, in a shocked voice. And then there was suppressed laughter. He squatted back on his heels and showed his teeth at the wall of branches. He raised a spear, snarled a little, and waited. Once more, the invisible group sniggered. He heard a curious trickling sound, and then a louder crepitation, as if someone were unwrapping great sheets of cellophane. A stick snapped, and he stifled a cough. Smoke was seeping through the branches in white and yellow wisps. The patch of sky, blue sky overhead turned to the color of a storm cloud, and then the smoke billowed around him. Someone laughed excitedly, and a voice shouted, Smoke He warmed his way through the thicket toward the forest, keeping as far as possible beneath the smoke. Presently he saw open space in the green leaves at the edge of the thicket. A smaller savage was standing between him and the rest of the forest, a savage striped red and white and carrying a spear. He was coughing and smearing the paint about his eyes with the back of his hand as he tried to see through the increasing smoke. Ralph launched himself like a cat, stabbed, snarling with the spear, and the savage doubled up. There was a shout from beyond the thicket, and then Ralph was running with the swiftness of fear through the undergrowth. He came to a pig run, followed it for perhaps a hundred yards, and then swerved off. Behind him, the ululation swept across the island once more, and a single voice shouted three times. He guessed that was a signal to advance and sped away again, till his chest was like fire. Then he flung himself down under a bush and waited for a moment till his breathing steadied. He passed his tongue tentatively over his teeth and lips and heard far off the ululation of the pursuers. There were many things he could do. He could climb a tree. That was putting all his eggs in one basket. If he were detected, they had nothing more difficult to do than wait. Only wanted time to think. Another double cry at the same distance gave him a clue to their plan. Any savage balked in the forest would utter the double shout and hold up the line till he was free again. That way, they might hope to keep the cordon unbroken right across the island. Ralph thought of the boar that had broken through them with such ease. If necessary, when the chase came too close... He could charge the cordon while it was still thin, burst through, and run back. But run back where? The cordon would turn and sweep again. Sooner or later, he would have to sleep or eat, and then he would awaken with hands clawing at him, and the hunt would become a running down. What was to be done then? The tree? Burst the line like a boar? Either way, the choice was terrible. A single cry quickened his heartbeat, and leaping up, he dashed away toward the ocean side and the thick jungle till he was hung up among the creepers. He stayed there for a moment with his calves quivering. If only one could have quiet, a long pause, a time to think. And there again, shrill and inevitable, was the ululation sweeping across the island. At that sound, he shied like a horse among the creepers and ran once more until he was panting. He flung himself down by some ferns, the tree or the charge. He mastered his breathing for a moment, wiped his mouth and told himself to be calm. Sam and Eric were somewhere in that line and hating it. Or were they? Supposing instead of them, he met the chief or Roger, who carried death in his hands. Ralph pushed back his tangled hair and wiped the sweat out of his best eye. He spoke aloud. Think. What was a sensible thing to do? There was no piggy to talk sense. There was no solemn assembly for debate nor dignity of the conch. Think. Most, he was beginning to dread the curtain that might waver in his brain, blacking out the sense of danger, making a simpleton of him. A third idea would be to hide so well the advancing line would pass without discovering him. He jerked his head off the ground and listened. There was another noise to attend to now, a deep, grumbling noise, as though the forest itself were angry with him, a somber noise across which the ululations were scribbled excruciatingly as on a slate. He knew he had heard it before somewhere, but had no time to remember. Break the line, a tree, hide and let them pass. A nearer cry stood him on his feet, and immediately he was away again, running fast among thorns and brambles. Suddenly, he blundered into the open, found himself again in that open space, and there was the fathom-wide grin of the skull, no longer ridiculing a deep blue patch of sky, but jeering up into a blanket of smoke. Then Ralph was running beneath trees with a grumble of the forest explained. They had smoked him out and set the island on fire. Hide was better than a tree because you had a chance of breaking the line if you were discovered. Hide then. He wondered if a pig would agree and grimaced at nothing. Find the deepest thicket, the darkest hole in the island, and creep in. Now as he ran, he peered about him. Bars and splashes of sunlight flitted over him, and sweat made glistening streaks on his dirty body. The cries were far now and faint. At last, he found what seemed to him the right place, though the decision was desperate. Here, bushes and a wild tangle of creeper made a mat that kept out all the light of the sun. Beneath it was a space, perhaps a foot high, that was pierced everywhere by parallel and rising stems. If you wormed into the middle of that, you would be five yards from the edge and hidden, unless the savage chose to lie down and look for you, and even then, you'd be in darkness. And if the worst happened and he saw you, then you had a chance to burst out at him, fling the whole line out of step, and double back. Cautiously, his stick trailing behind him, Ralph wormed between the rising stems. When he reached the middle of the mat, he lay and listened. The fire was a big one, and the drum roll he had thought he was left so far behind was nearer. Couldn't a fire outrun a galloping horse? He could see the sun-slashed ground over an area of perhaps 50 yards from where he lay. And as he watched, the sunlight in every patch blinked at him. This was so like the curtain that flapped in his brain that for a moment he thought the blinking was inside him. But then the patches blinked more rapidly, dulled, and went out. So that he saw that a great heaviness of smoke lay between the island and the sun. If anyone peered into the bushes and chanced to glimpse human flesh, it might be Sam and Eric who would pretend not to see and say nothing. He laid his cheek against the chocolate-colored earth, licked his dry lips, and closed his eyes. Under the thicket, the earth was vibrating, very slightly, and perhaps there was a sound beneath the obvious thunder of the fire and scribbled that were too low to hear. Someone cried out. Ralph jerked his cheek off the earth and looked into the dulled light. They must be near now, he thought, and his chest began to thump. Hide! Break the line, climb a tree, which was the best after all. The trouble was you only had one chance. Now the fire was nearer. Those volleying shots were great limbs, trunks even, bursting. The fools, the fools. The fire must be almost the fruit trees. What would they eat tomorrow? Ralph stirred restlessly in his narrow bed. One chance, nothing. What could they do? Beat him? So what? Kill him? A stick sharpened at both ends. The cries suddenly nearer jerked him up. He could see a striped savage moving hastily out of a green tangle and coming toward the mat where he hid, a savage who carried a spear. Ralph gripped his fingers into the earth. Be ready now, in case. Ralph fumbled to hold his spear as it was point foremost, and now he saw the stick was sharpened at both ends. The savage stopped 15 yards away and uttered his cry. Perhaps he can hear my heart over the noise of the fire. Don't scream. Get ready. Get ready. The savage moved forward, so you could only see him from the waist down. That was the butt of his spear. Now you could see him from the knee down. Don't scream. A herd of pigs came squealing out of the greenery behind the savage and rushed away into the forest. Birds were screaming, mice shrieking, and a little hopping thing came under the mat and cowered. Five yards away, the savage stopped, standing right by the thicket, and cried out. Ralph drew his feet up and crouched. The stake was in his hands. The stake sharpened at both ends. The stake that vibrated so wildly that grew long, short, light, heavy, light again. The ululation spread from shore to shore. The savage knelt down by the edge of the thicket, and there were lights flickering in the forest behind him. You could see a knee disturb the mold, now the other, two hands, a spear, a face. The savage peered into the obscurity beneath the thicket. You could tell he saw light on this side and that, but not in the middle. There. In the middle was a blob of dark, and the savage wrinkled up his face, trying to decipher the darkness. The seconds lengthened. Ralph was looking straight into the savage's eyes. Don't scream. You'll get back. Now he's seen you. He's making sure. A stick sharpened. Ralph screamed. A scream of fright and anger and desperation. His legs straightened, the screams becoming continuous and foaming. He shot forward, burst the thicket, was in the opening, screaming, snarling, bloody. He swung the stake and the savage tumbled over, but there were others coming toward him, crying out. He swerved as a spear flew past and then was silent, running. All at once, the lights flickering ahead of him merged together. The roar of the forest rose to thunder and a tall bush directly in his path burst into a great fan-shaped flame. He swung to the right, running desperately fast, with the heat beating on his left side and the fire racing toward board like a tide. The Ululation rose behind him. And spread along, a series of short, sharp cries, the sighting call. A brown figure showed up at his right and fell away. They were all running, all crying out madly. He could hear him crashing in the undergrowth, and on the left was the hot, bright thunder of the fire. He forgot his wounds, his hunger and thirst, and became fear. Hopeless fear on flying feet, rushing through the forest toward the open beach. Spots jumped before his eyes and turned into red circles that expanded quickly until they passed out of sight. Below him, someone's legs were getting tired, and the desperate ululation advanced like a jagged fringe of menace and was almost overhead. He stumbled over a root, and the cry that pursued him rose even higher. He saw a shelter burst into flames, and the fire flapped at his right shoulder, and there was the glitter of water. Then he was down, rolling over and over in the warm sand, crouching with arm to ward off, trying to cry for mercy. He staggered to his feet, tense for more terrors, and looked up. A huge peaked cap. It was a white top cap, and above the green shade of the cap was a crown, an anchor, gold foliage. He saw a white drill, epaulets, a revolver, a row of gilt buttons down the front of a uniform. A naval officer stood on the sand looking down at Ralph in wary astonishment. On the beach behind him was a cutter, her bows hauled up and held by two ratings. In the stern sheets, another rating held a submachine gun the ululation faltered and died away. The officer looked at Ralph doubtfully for a moment, then took his hand away from the butt of the revolver. Hello? Squirming a little, conscious of his filthy appearance, Ralph answered shyly. Hello? The officer nodded, as if the question had been answered. Are there any adults, any grown-ups with you? Dumbly, Ralph shook his head. He turned a half pace on the sand, a semicircle of little boys, their bodies streaked with colored clay, sharp sticks in their hands, We're standing on the beach making no noise at all. Fun and games, said the officer. The fire reached the coconut palms by the beach and swallowed them noisily. A flame, seemingly detached, swung like an acrobat and licked up the palm heads on the platform. The sky was black. The officer grinned cheerfully at Ralph. We saw your smoke. What have you been doing? Having a war or something? Ralph nodded. The officer inspected the little scarecrow in front of him. Kid needed a bath, a haircut, a nose wipe, and a good deal of ointment. Nobody killed, I hope. Any dead bodies? Only two, and they've gone. The officer leaned down and looked closely at Ralph. Two? Killed? Ralph nodded again. Behind him, the whole island was shuddering with flame. The officer knew as a rule when people were telling the truth. He whistled softly. Other boys were appearing now, tiny tots, some of them, brown, with the distended bellies of small savages. One of them came close to the officer and looked up. I'm. I'm. But there was no more to come. Percival Wemmys Madison sought in his head for an incantation that had faded clean away. The officer turned back to Ralph. We'll take you off. How many of you are there? Ralph shook his head. The officer looked past him to the group of painted boys. Who's boss here? I am, said Ralph loudly. A little boy who wore the remains of an extraordinary black cap on his red hair who carried the remains of a pair of spectacles at his waist started forward then changed his mind and stood still we saw your smoke and you don't know how many of you there are no sir i should have thought said the officer as he visualized the search before him i should have thought that a pack of british boys you're all british aren't you would have been able to put up a better show than that i mean it was like that at first said ralph before things he stopped we were together then. The officer nodded helpfully. I know, jolly good show, like the Coral Island. Ralph looked at him dumbly. For a moment, he had a fleeting picture of a strange glamour that had once invested the beaches. But the island was scorched up like dead wood. Simon was dead, and Jack had... The tears began to flow, and sobs shook him. He gave himself up to them now for the first time on the island, great, shuddering spasms of grief that seemed to wrench his whole body. His voice rose under the black smoke before the burning wreckage of the island. And infected by that emotion, the other little boys began to shake and sob too. And in the middle of them with filthy body, matted hair, and unwiped nose, Ralph wept for the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart, and the fall through the air of the true wise friend called Piggy. The officer surrounded by these noises was moved and a little embarrassed. He turned away to give them time to pull themselves together and waited, allowing his eyes to rest on the trim cruiser in the distance. All right. So that is the end of the story. I do want to go back. I, I don't like to pause during the end of it because it's kind of a, a continuous action scene that I don't really like to interrupt. So to go back to a couple things in particular, remember one, our that our symbol of civilization is Ralph, right? Here's this guy that's been attempting to maintain civilization for all this time, but now they're trying to kill him. And so you want to pay attention to what are some of the things that he does, uh, between snarling, stabbing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what are, what kinds of actions has he done, but consider what it is that's causing him to do these actions and think about what this might be saying about any human in a particular situation. And again, if you think about the snarling and such, well, what is he acting like? You know, consider, consider that piece, um, For those that think, okay, this is stupid. They just got rescued. Like, I I would fully expect that he were going to be killed. Absolutely. Totally, right? It seems as if he was going to be killed. The problem with that is that if that's the case, if Ralph ends up dead and the boys are just there, what hope do you have? If civilization is entirely destroyed, that is the most, I mean, don't get me wrong, the story is relatively pessimistic. but there's no glimmer of hope. Whereas if you think about the story, there are some glimmers of hope. I mean, Simon's dead, but but he existed and he, he had an impact on at the very least, someone like Ralph, Ralph's still there. He's still trying to hold on. There's still that possibility. If you look at how they are rescued, what is it that they saw? They saw the smoke. Well, what has Ralph been saying all along? And now, Interestingly enough, in trying to destroy Ralph and his way of life, consider what Jack has now proven to actually be true. The other thing that's sort of interesting about it is who is rescuing them. It's not just any guy and it's not just any sailor. It's a sailor who's coming from a military ship, right? a ship that has a submachine gun. His first instinct when Ralph comes in, he goes and breaches for his revolver even though it's a small child. So it's not just anybody. It's a guy who's a military guy, probably out coming from that same war. And again, if you notice that last line, he turned away uh, to pull themselves together, allowing his eyes to rest on the trim cruiser in the distance. That last thing that we're seeing is the image of the warship. Because again, what's the irony here? They're being rescued from this environment, but where are they going? What's the environment that they're going to end up back in once they get home? Is it necessarily better? The other piece that's one of the more important lines uh, from the book is that piece at the end. Right? We see that Ralph wept for the end of innocence. Again, consider these were one of the main reasons why he picks kids. You know, have kids be at the center of a story. That what are kids supposed to be? They're supposed to be innocent. Go back to chapter one. Jack couldn't even kill the pig because of the unbearable blood. Well, but now what's happened over the course of the story? In what ways has innocence been lost? What kinds of harsh realities have the kids learned? And again, that's not to say that we don't all learn those things at some point, but what happens when we learn them too young? Uh, He cries for the darkness of man's heart. Again, that's mostly the most uplifting tale about humanity, that ultimately what are we kind of pointing out about all humanity in particular in certain situations. Uh, And we are recognizing that Piggy was, in fact, a true wise friend. One of the other things he references, the officer says, I know Jolly Good Show, like the Coral Island. Now, if you remember from the very, very beginning, when he had all the the notes, the Coral Island been this really, really popular adventure story in which you had the characters of Ralph, Jack, and a boy named Peterkin who were trapped on a deserted island, except that they became better people, they actually helped convert some cannibals to Christianity, and it was this all-around positive experience for them. And that this was Golding's response to that, of saying, hell no, that is not what's going to happen with people. Uh, So we wanted to look at what he thought would be more of the harsh reality of that darkness of man's heart. Again, especially when you consider what type of an environment are they in? This is not your typical environment. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed the story um, and we will talk more about it uh, going forward.